Welcome to the Magic Hour, a safe haven for lost stories and curious folk. Last year, in our first season, we explored the topic of grief through the lens of an old story, the wild swans, also known as the seven swans or the six swans. It goes by many names and has many variations, but a few themes stay the same. Transformation, wild swans, a witch's curse, royal children that undergo persecution, and a sister's heroic deeds. We discussed how grief in our lives have transformed us, much like the enchanted siblings, and what aspects of the story resonated with some of the grief we carry in our lives. It's funny how stories tend to mirror personal narrative. Mm. So for this episode, we'll revisit the same tale, but from different angles. We're not going into detail on heavy topics, but just the same. We hope that you are in a good place to listen to us share. Yes, well, let's get cozy. Uh, So I, in the last few months, have revisited the story uh, in two different versions. One uh, was told Martin Shaw has a substack and he records a lot. And he did a oral retelling of the six ones, he called it. And um, I listened to it and I was intrigued by some of the, it was a shorter telling and it, there were many things the same, but a few key things were different. And I also had read um, Jackie Morris's retelling. She mm. had done this beautiful illustrated book, which I will link in our show notes um, of the story, but it had all these, it's just like interspersed with these beautiful paintings. And I just got very academic about it and I started Love it. Reading through, yeah, reading through both and noticing the differences and always comparing them to the first version I actually heard, which was what I spoke about in the original episode we did, um, Daughter of the Forest by Juliette Marier from New Zealand, who writes fantasy novels. And so I wanted to kind of just kind of share what I learned uh, first to kind of remind us of the story uh, and get us into the mindset of the story. Yeah, it's a few people that might not even know this story. Yeah, they might not know. So, key thing, there's a king, he's lost in the woods. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I think the phrase king is lost in the woods, there's something very, like, meaningful to me about that. Sure. Whether you want to think that you're the one lost in the woods or the king, you know, maybe our society the leaders of our society are lost in the woods, whatever, whatever you want to bring to that image in your head. He's lost in the woods and there's an old woman, a forest witch, and she is like, I'll help you, but you need to marry my daughter. Yeah. If. <laughs> and also this witch happens to take the form of a white hair and she is glowing in the dark and she leads the king to this place. And there's this, oh. yeah, in both versions in both Martin Shaw and uh, Jackie Morris's version and this white hair like leads him to this place. That's fantastic. This otherworldly place. He can't find his way back to the castle. And there's this woman there, his her daughter, the witch's daughter. And he has this feeling like she knew he was coming. She seems not fully light-filled. She seems foreboding is the word. Mm. And he brings her back to the castle. And he's, he automatically just gets back to the castle with no problem because he's agreed to this. Mm-hmm. And um, also, you know, side note, he had lost his wife a few years before, and with this wife, he had had, in this version, six, and in Jackie Morris's, tw- uh, 
12. 11. 11, because 12 is the daughter. Right. So 11 sons and then um, Martin Shaw, six sons. Yeah, Annie which is the Hans daughter. Christian Andersen versus the Grimm. Yeah. Like there's two kind of forks in the road. But yes. interestingly to note, um, seven and 12 are both um, very important numeric representations of completion and hmm. purity. Well, there you go. Yeah, I was wondering if there's meaning in the numbers. So this king's in grief. Speaking of grief, he's lost his wife. He loved her very much. Um, that that um, part of the story is very elaborate in Daughter of the Forest. Juliet really goes into character development on his original wife and how much he loved her. So oh, wow. you, it's more in depth in that book. And um, in these two versions, um, the king um, doesn't want this witch daughter, which is daughter, to know about his children. So he doesn't tell her about him about them, and he hides his children in this tower in the forest, and only he can get there with this ball of twine that leads him to it, and he can only get in. So he brings her back, but he hides his whole past and his children from this, from the witch's daughter that he has to marry, and he secretly goes and visits them for years. And the witch's daughter is very resentful because she knows he's keeping something from him, and she she kind of has just ended up in this position. It's like her mother's like, "You're going to marry this guy." And she can also, she's a witch too, and she can also turn into a hare. And so um, a quote from Martin Shaw's telling was, it was a marriage of many concealments, which mm. stood out to me as something very meaningful to me. Think mm. about all the times we conceal, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself in both versions feeling a level of compassion for this woman who's kind of been put into this situation. And she's trying to make it work, but she's being hidden, like things are being hidden from her. And she also wants children and she's not getting any. Because the king's kind of living this double life. And so the witch's um, daughter, I keep calling her that, the, you know, witch wife, I guess, finds a way to, finds out, and she finds a way to this hidden tower. And she ends up casting a spell. Uh, I think the brothers in Martin Shaw's version, they come out of the tower, and she casts the spell on them. Um, and they fly away, but the only person that's left is the daughter. And the witch doesn't know about the daughter still in the tower. And then the witch goes back to the castle. In Jackie Morris's version, the daughter sends a message by Dove to tell the king what's going on. Because uh, I forgot to say that the witch wife found the twine that led the king to it and she threw it away. So the king can't get in anymore. So she's made it so the king can't even get to his children. The sons are, are swans. They've flown away and the daughter's alone and she can't, the king can't get to her, leaving her isolated. And all of this, by the way, is revenge. Mm. In Juliet's book, The New Zealand Writer, uh, the witch wife is jealous, it feels, of the daughter and the children. But in these yeah. versions, it feels more like, you're going to leave me out? I'm taking what you love. I didn't even want mm. to be in the situation in the first place. Something like that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the, an interesting that's flip. Yeah. It's much more from a woman's perspective, whereas I think yeah. the Grim, Grimm's and, and like the original fairy tales, like you don't even really consider the motivation of this wife. Exactly. And that, I do like that because how do people who do dark things get dark? How do they become mm. who they are? Right. We talk about Magneto and X-Men, mm. for example. So anyway, we have now this, what's going on now is the scenario where, the king can't get to his kids. 
The brothers are swans and they're gone. The daughter mm-hmm. doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. In Jackie Morris's version, the daughter, the daughter's dog leads her back to the castle before the father gets there. The father's looking for the sons. And the witch casts all these spells on her to make her look terrifying. And when right. the king comes back, he doesn't recognize his daughter and kicks her out. So the daughter's mm-hmm. out in the wilderness. And um, in the other one, in Martin Shaw's version, she just goes on her own to find them. So mm-hmm. there's two different tellings. One, the witch is like, sure, welcome back, and then just makes her look terrifying. And the king casts her out. The other one, she just goes. But either way, she's she's cast out into the wilderness, and she needs to figure out what to do. How many times mm-hmm. have we been there, right? Yeah. And so now I'm going to call her Eliza because that's, that's what she's called name. in Jackie. Yeah. Um, and she's wandering the wilderness. And um, in one of the versions, she ends up at a huntsman's, a woodsman's hut. And that's where she finds her brothers. In the other one, she ends up by the sea and they find her. Um, and she has to figure out what to do now. Um, and in the one with the woodsman's hut, the brothers reveal to her that the only way that she can save them is if she knits them all sweaters. Uh, using something called aster flower which has no nettles or burning involved aster flower i looked up aster flower there's no mention of her hands burning but the nettles are in jackie morris's so she has to knit them from some strange plant one of them inflicts pain but both tasks require her to remain silent the entire time um and it will take her six years um in jackie morris's uh version she learns that the swans know that six six is an important number too because in all fairy tales threes Right. Or an important number. Right. In Jackie Morris's, there's a little more detail. Um, the swans can fly during the day, uh-huh. but as soon as the sun sets, they'll fall to their death. So they have to be landed. They have to be, yeah, because they'll go back yep. to being human. Yep. And um, during the summer, for 11, which I thought was interesting, 11 days, they flew back home to see their mother's grave and to find Eliza. And she can choose between seeing them 11 days out of the year or going with them because they go south after those 11 days and they stay in this other place. They don't really mm-hmm. describe where the other place is. It's just South. And so, Grimm's is like another um, oasis type island, like a safe yes. haven. Yes. So um, she decides I can knit this, um, a net and you can carry me over the sea to this far place. Mm-hmm. I want to stay with you. Mm-hmm. So they decide to do it. They fly her over. And while she goes over, she finds Morgana, queen of the fairies. This is in Jackie Morris's version. And um, and Whoa! they she Multi- sees universes coming together. Yes, and she sees this in the sky. They they get to their island, their place where there's a cave. They settle down there, and she's like, "All right, we're living here. Cool. We're in another land." And she dreams. She's like, "In her dreams, I need a solution. How do I save my brothers?" And Morgana visits her. So she mm. had seen Morgana in the clouds. Oh. Goes to sleep. Morgana's like, "Hey, girl, let me talk to you. Here's what you need to do." And Morgana's I'm like, this. Yeah, it's really interesting. Morgana's like, so can you handle this? And Eliza's like, what? And she's like, I need you to knit 12 sweaters out of nettles and it's going to suck. It's going to burn. It's going to be painful. Like, try it. Touch it. And Eliza's like, okay. But she doesn't flinch. Like, she tries to touch it. And she's like, no, I can do this. I'm doing it. And she agrees. And also Morgana says, and you can't talk. Mm-hmm. Can you do it? Mm-hmm. And I actually find myself angry at Morgana. I'm like, What? Like, why are you inflicting this on this poor kid? Like, why are you doing this? Um, but that's the uh, the longer version. So, but isn't it just a 
uh, mechanism to deliver the thing that this whole fairy tale is about. Sure. Yeah. But I, I found myself asking like questions like, but why though? But don't we say that whenever something happens, right? But why do I carry this burden? Right. But this is the burden, right? This is, she needs to, she's going to be in pain and she's not going to be able to communicate to save these people who she loves. So also just flying off the cuff because this is what I do. I'm annoying. Mm-hmm. I interject. Um, the being delivered hard news or being dealt some painful truths i would rather have it be given to me by a fucking magical (laughs) wise (laughs) queen of fairies than anyone else like what if it was like an asshole that delivered the news really horribly i bet she had a ring to her magical tone yeah she was like honey i love you but listen Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is how it's gonna go (laughs) and maybe this isn't her fault maybe this is what the curse wrought by that angry witch this is how you could the only way you could fix it yeah um so Either way, in Martin Shaw's, where she finds out what she must do, or in Jackie Morris's, she has agreed to the task. She's going to be mm-hmm. knitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the longer version, knitting with something that will cause her great pain, and she will not yeah. be able to speak. So um, the nettles are growing outside the cave. She starts knitting. And um, there's something that Martin Shaw said, again, that I really loved. And he said, silence is the cost here. That kind of focus attracts people. And this is when enter the prince. Um, There's a prince that finds her. And she's this wild, like, to him. Don't forget, this is a princess, by the way. She's a princess, but she's in the wild. She's been basically exiled. And she's, think think about it, she can't speak. And she's knitting sweaters out of nettles, which to anyone from the outside, they're like, what? But that kind of focus attracts people. And the prince is like, huh. You know, this vision. And Here's a quote from Jackie Morris's book, because her book deals a lot with when you're silent, people impose on you what they want to hear mm. or what they want to think. So he saw only what he wanted to see, a proud, fierce, young beggar woman. In his head, he found words for her, the words he wished to hear. Mm. And, I, and I wrote down that she had been raised a princess, though. He just didn't know. And I think there's so many... I had so many feelings about that. You know, people will judge based on what they see, but they don't know you. Right. You're a princess. I love that. He's like, I'm going to give you the words that you haven't given me. Yeah. Oh, thanks. No one asked you. Yeah, I know. Exactly. So, you know, and also just, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. So this prince finds her and he takes her. He's like, honey, I'll take you. Like, I'll take care of you. (laughs) And she's like, she can't say anything. You know, so she takes her sweaters and she makes sure he takes all the sweaters with them and all the knitting supplies and she goes. And like in Jackie Morris's version, the brothers come home because they were out that day and she's gone. They don't know where she is. So now she's in another era of the story. She's living, you know, cut to she's living in this, you know, community. It's it sounds like a royal community. He's a prince. Sounds like a kingdom. And Mm -hmm. he's going to marry her. Somehow we get to that. He's going to marry her. She hasn't said a word. Right. She's this mysterious being. No one really understands her. And she's focusing on knitting as well, right? So she's mm-hmm. she's busy. She's busy she's doing bu- her own thing. Yeah, she's busy doing her own thing. And it's not fun, right? So in Jackie Morris's version, she's treated as a princess. And everyone in the community comes to her daily. And they talk to her. And she listens to them. They tell her things she's that gets cute. Like, I'm in love with him and I don't want to say it. And they tell her things that are scary. Like, I did this really bad thing. Mm-hmm. She's like everyone's you know 
I don't want to, it's not scapegoat, but she's like, everyone's dumping ground. Dumping ground. Yep. And she's just kind of there. She's just taking it because she's really just focused on this one thing, you know? Right. And because she's quiet and everyone is going to write their own story about her, uh, here come a character. There's two, it's two different kinds of characters. In Jackie Morris's, it's a priest. And in Mary uh, Juliet's, it's a priest. And in Martin Shaw's, it's a very jealous and untrusting mother. So, um, they're doing the same thing, but they're two different people. So the prince's mother and Martin Shaw's is like, I don't trust her. And she, um, in, in Martin Shaw's version, uh, she ends up giving birth and the mother smears, um, chicken blood on her face and says she's a cannibal in, uh, Jackie Morris's version. The priest is like, I want to get with you. And she's like, she can't say anything, but she, she refuses him basically non-verbally and so in revenge the priest calls her a witch mm-hmm. so he doesn't get what he wants so he calls her a witch the mother isn't liking this girl for her son so she claims she's a cannibal and both of those people end up having her burned at the stake want her to be burned at the stake and because she can't defend herself she can't defend herself so she's basically tried by the people who've decided they're going to lie about her and she and all the while this is happening, she's still knitting these sweaters and she's believing in it and she's working and fighting for it. And she can't say a word. She's just working and working. And this is the part in the story when you start feeling that in your chest. You're like, oh, like she's like, you know what? I have no other choice. This is what I'm going to do. I don't really care. I don't care what people think anymore. I'm doing this. I can relate to that so much, you know. So on her way to the pyre, she's knitting. I love this vision. It's the same in both stories. She's knitting, knitting, knitting. She gets to the pyre. She's about to burn. The the sticks are lit and in come the swans swooping and she throws the sweaters on them one by one. And there was one arm in one sweater that wasn't finished. And that brother, he turns back to a human, but he still has a wing. And here are the two things she says in the different versions of the story. In Martin Shaw's, she says, now I have a voice. Now I have a story. My bitch of a mother-in-law took my children, smeared my mouth with chicken blood. And the truth was seen. And mm. then in Jackie Morris's story, it's softer but intense because the prince tries for a little while to fight the priest, but he, he doesn't really take charge of the situation. And he has a lot of explaining to do. And so the last chapter in Jackie Morris's book is him apologizing and them having a healing conversation about the trauma he imparted on her. <laughs> and he apologized. Like there's this whole line where he apologizes and she has to and they heal because she ends up saying, I love you. You have been great for me, but you kind of abandoned me. You know, what's up with that? Um, so there's a reckoning at the end where she finally gets to tell her truth and people have to be held accountable. And I think in Martin Shaw's, the mother ends up getting burned at the stake. And the big difference here from Juliet's book that I originally read, Daughter of the Forest, is the prince isn't involved. He's away. And the priest takes advantage of that and tries her. So the prince isn't actually responsible in that story and he comes back and he saves her and it's great that's why it's still my favorite version but in these two there's some very real like you know elements that we can relate to being abandoned by someone um lies being told about us by someone we thought we could trust or maybe hoped we could trust and what the fallout is from that 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, both end with her in this righteous state. She has her brothers. She has this man she loves. Um, whether, you know, she had to fight for that love back or, you know, regain his trust and has this kingdom that's fertile and rich and ripe. But she had to fight for a lot of years and has a lot of wounds from it. In Juliet's book, um, there is uh, a violent scene. I think I did say in the first episode that she does get raped in that story. And the thing I love about Juliet's writing is that she doesn't let the characters just be fine. She makes sure you understand that these characters that go through these trials have leftover trauma at the end. And I think that that's important in fairy tales or any story that we all get, you know, we can get our victories, but we have to also like take care of and heal the wounds we've gotten and not ignore them. Mm. So that is the new paths this story can take. Um, Again, the the structure, the, the bones, the skeleton of the story is the same, but we have a few different elements and so I'd love to hear um, where you're at with the story now. Yeah. yeah. Pause Pause for listener reflection. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> where are you at in your story? How does the story make you feel? I think for me, the I love that we revisited this. Mm-hmm. Um, and revisiting tales are really important. And for me, the revisiting has made me realize um, that the requirement for Eliza to be silent, for the princess to be silent, um, is something that I have experienced myself around um, being or experiencing a form of depression and that I don't speak to it. Um, I've come from a value system or a structure where um, maybe I've misinterpreted it at some point in my life, but I assumed that I wasn't supposed to share um, my struggles with anyone, that I was supposed to bear um, my burdens and contribute to other people's joys, healings, justice, um, and not to speak on when I am suffering. Um, and that's come from a good chunk of my understanding around what is justice and that my privilege has afforded me so much and that really my suffering is just so tiny in comparison to the context of worldwide suffering. I think it's done a little bit of discredit to me because I've devalued the importance of sharing when I am not okay. And the other part of my personality is this joyous, um, exalt, exaltive, um, bliss person, which is not inauthentic. It isn't coming from, oh, let me put a different lens on this suffering. It's not like I, I'm keeping a secret and I've put up a front to distract from it. I just have multifacets to my personality and one is really really high vibes and of course that's the one that I'm like way more comfortable expressing on the daily both because I can't even contain it but also it's um it's a much more palatable um part of me 
and to break, you know, my own enchantment is to break the silence that I don't share when I'm suffering. Um, and I have a kind of tendency to be like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, until I'm not. And I am leaning in mm. to um, exploring being much more honest and much more present in sharing my emotions, which help validate my depression, helps validate my experiences, stops disassociating with the more, um, the parts of me that are begging to be witnessed, that are begging to be um, held. So for me, I was thinking about the enchantment of silence and the power of breaking that silence. Um, mm. I think it's very interesting to lean into both grief, sorrow, depression, and rage. And these kind of new eras of fairy tales being an opportunity to be like, okay, well, if these atrocities are happening, if these um, near misses and narrow escapes are happening. What comes with that is volatile, strong, explosive, or um, implosive emotions. So being a little bit more real and gritty about it is kind yeah. of where I'm at. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah and for me like just even being able to from time to time when I'm talking with you and my other friends to be a bit more specific about what depression is for me because I think mm -hmm. there's um when you talked about um what people think when silence um doesn't give you the information yep. I'm assuming that because I haven't been very um clear about when I am in a depressed state people assume everything's fine and that I don't have any issues um and no of course no one thinks that if you take if you take a beat but if you do not know when someone is struggling then you just don't know i'm amazed at everything you just said i i think part of this is you know listeners rudo and i have been friends for eons of time mm -hmm. in our teenage years in a heart you know tumultuous you know years of youth when we're in college and um, you know, when I was younger, I, I did assume that you were fine, which is an mm -hmm. unrealistic thing to assume. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes people want there to be a person who doesn't break because we need someone who doesn't break. And then if you take that role upon yourself, whether you realize it or not, all of us are at a disservice because the truth is there's a lot of important stuff in the dark parts and things to learn and learning how to move through grief and find the gems in there is really what life is all about I really think and it's yeah. really cool for me to hear you say all this I think mm -hmm. it's it's very inspiring it makes me feel happy for you because <laughs> you have a right to like no matter how much privilege anyone has you get to have your grief and your depression and the things that are hard for you and you get to ask for help and support. Everyone does. Everyone needs that. So 
So is it feeling kind of like that that epic ending when she's like, now I can speak? Do you feel a little bit like, does it feel good to say these things out loud or is it a little uncomfortable? I think I probably have some um, compassion and familiarity with the prince that's half swan, half human. Hmm. Like for me, swans are a very interesting symbol because they, I know that on a, from a distance, as in literal distance, they are incredibly astounding, beautiful, graceful, peaceful looking things. And Mm -hmm. symbolically, they are a symbol of purity and grace and perfection. Have y'all ever been real close to a swan? No, they're actually To a motherfucking swan? Yeah, they're They're actually not. They're they're not safe. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're... I, I remember running screaming from a swan or like yes. being in a situation where we were trying to get away. So like, they're not nice. And it was interesting that you brought this up because I was like, when I was researching these, I was like, why swans though? Like where, why were we talking about swans in these tales? Like, why was that the, the animal? Why do you think that was? You have any thoughts yeah, on think, that? Well, they, because they look majestic as fuck. I think mm-hmm. they've always been associated with, with royalty and royalty has always been ascribed or akin to perfect and pure mm. um, and flawless. So I think sure. there, yeah, it's just a universal symbol of a certain amount of purity and perfection. Um, but then like anything else, there is the actual reality of these symbols or these animals in this case. Um, so yeah, I feel, I feel very kindred spirit to this half swan beast half young prince where i am a little bit uncomfortable with my new modality of speaking about feeling low and i immediately want to course correct and i'm just like witnessing it i'm just here for it yeah it's a process i think sure right i mean this is a new healing thing i think what will come next Definitely. to be seen, right? It's going to be an up and down. It's going to be. Yeah. But the thing is, I was wondering, I, was, I had a question in my mind as you were speaking about when you said, I feel like I should be the one bringing the vibe, the high vibes. Do you think. 100%. But do you. And you're good at that. But do you think as someone who knows you very well and has been in a lot of intimate situations with you, do you think that part of your struggles with sharing is because you almost feel sad that you aren't feeling that at the moment because it's like, that is your, that is who you are. And like, when you're not feeling that, that's probably sad for you. You're like, why am I not feeling that way? Like I want to be, I'm going to do it anyway. You know what I mean? Cause you want, do you feel like that's part of it? Does that make sense? Like I was thinking, I wonder if part of it is like, man, I just don't want to be in this place, which none of us do, but maybe it's extra hard for you since that feels like your thing, you know? I could be totally wrong. I think you're speaking to, no, I think you're speaking to self-compassion and self-acceptance. Yeah. And that's the journey. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And also a little bit of what use am I if I'm not playing this role? So there's a little bit of self-worth in there as well? Yeah. Yeah, so much Can I even take a place if I'm not being useful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can. Re- I I think we all can relate to that. And the answer is yes. Like, you don't have to always be a certain way to be useful. What does useful mean? And don't I become a more trustworthy person when you get to see all of me? Yes. You know, I I struggle with this because I understand from a a corporate 
workplace setting. Mm-hmm. N- not everyone's in a corporate place, but most people are in a workspace. Mm. And there, I think there is an assumption that if you are in charge or in a leadership position, you actually are only allowed to show one face and you have to be like kind of unruffable and like, and that's a hundred percent. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. It's not right. That is inauthentic. Yeah, it is. And I think our society is coming to a reckoning with that on different, many different levels. I think we're all starting to talk about how to be more authentic and, you know, with all the strikes going on, we are not happy in these workplaces. We are not getting what we deserve. I'm not pretending I'm fine anymore. You know, that's a, and, and the, the amount of vitriol that comes at that, like, just be happy with what you have. It's like, no, I'm allowed to ask for more. I deserve more. Like, that's a, it's a hard thing to say. Like, I've been working on saying that, but you do. Like, we all deserve better. So. Yeah. And I think we're also, like, what you're saying, you know, we're little mini reflections of, of the world that we see. Like yeah. Everything, everything that we play out in our own daily lives is a, an opportunity yeah. to see that as a symbolic representation of the world at large. And yeah. if we are incapable of faking it, then that's a sign of things yeah. to come. Yeah. And the more we like give voice to these things, the more balanced we are. And then we can like work through them and heal from them and then have better lives. But, you know, like, you know, grief and like depression and struggling, that's a part of it, not separate from it. It's a part of the cycle. And if mm-hmm. we're cutting out one part, then we're kind of hollow. Mm-hmm. So we need to be addressing Incomplete. these things. Yep. And that's what these stories were about. That's why they're so harsh and hard. They are about that. They are meant yes. to help us understand and learn, you know, and so that's why we love them, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't realize it, but we do. And when they started, you know, in Disney movies, sugarcoating them, it was like, no, Doing don't sugarcoat disservice. them. Total no. disservice. Don't take out that part, you know, mm-hmm. and then that's, isn't that interesting that even culturally, they took it out of even children's stories for kids. So the kids didn't even get to see the darkness. Yeah. And so we just trained everyone to be fine, fine, fine. Until we're yeah. not and we flip out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have of to flip course. out. You can yeah. work through. Yeah. Of course I think that way. Yeah. <laughs> if all of if all of my stories and material that I was given as a child was rage belongs here in the dark side. Um sorrow or grief or depression doesn't even exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's another side of this, which is, you know, I think I'm on the opposite side. I, I've had a lot of things in my life that have made me feel, I think I have a lot of joy and zest for life. Of course, I, I really do. Um, you know that I have a passion mm-hmm. for things. I get excited about things, but I, I think I'm more cynical and I think I'm more into a dark, I have a more dark outlook because I've had some pain, a lot of it actually. And I think I need that truth to help me feel authentic mm-hmm. because sometimes when I hear ultra positive things, I'm like, I'm sorry, but no, like that's not how it is. But I don't want to be down there all the time. But sometimes it's safer to be down there because then you're not disappointed. And I think that that's something I'm thinking a lot about. And it's a hard one because I don't quite know how to shift that. However, um, if you don't mind, uh, can I share where mm-hmm. I'm at? Yeah. Do you have anything else you wanted to share what you were saying? 
I mean, I might react to what you're about to say. I'm really That's excited great. to hear about where Please you're do. at. Yeah, me, um, it's more of a general assessment. I was thinking about when we were meeting about this the first time and talking about it, and I was in a deep state of grief still. I remember feeling a lot more shaky. Um, I had lost my cat. My old life was it was more raw. My old life had died. I was definitely more raw. Um, I'm still, like, reckoning with all of that, but I feel it less. Um, it's integrated. It's integrating. New growth has occurred since then. And I had this kind of thought because I think Martin Shaw said at the end of the story, she was flanked by her brothers. Mm. And I've been saying this since I was starting to get my tattoos over the last year and a half. I want to be flanked by mugwort and hairs. And now I am. Um, I have matching tattoos on both arms. I am flanked by magical plants and animals. And I feel powerful. Like, I'm not unlike the king's daughter, I'm flanked by sacred creatures and plants. And I feel um, that that choice to get those on me, it's like a powerful path. Now I'm on a path I've set myself on. And I don't think I would feel as steady on that path if I hadn't gone through all of the trials. I, I you know, I, I wish some of the things had, hadn't happened to me. Uh mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that every, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's fine. But something in this lifetime I need to experience. I'm going to believe that. I'm finding and using my voice and cultivating my own focus. As she is knitting her sweaters, I am knitting and weaving the life I want. And it doesn't look, it doesn't always look logical. And I'm leaning more and more into towards the things that are more authentic to me. And that means putting my art out there, you know, investing in that. It feels like a lost in the wilderness. It's like, where do I fit? How do I do this? And, um, but that's what feels true to me. So I'm on that path and my feet are, my feet are grounded there. Mm. You know, I, that's what kind of came up as I was revisiting these stories, um, hearing her like yell, righteously finally on that pillar like she was about to burn and like she throws those sweaters on that feels that's a that's a place I want to be you know like now you can hear me you know Mm. stop assuming things about me you know this is me take it or leave it kind of thing and I I love that vision in my head of her I I am her I want to be her as much as possible um you know perhaps the more I read new versions of the story the more I'll find Perhaps different things will reveal themselves based on my phase of life. Um, but that image of her throwing the sweaters over her brothers as she's about to burn, it feels epic and important. And it's the same in every story. It's her absolution, her victory, her commitment to herself and the people and things she loves. Yeah, that's my goal. And so, yeah, do I feel pain and am I mourning and am I struggling? Yeah. Do I feel more authentic in myself? Yeah. Uh do I want to feel more joy? Yes. Um, I try. <laughs> I will try. I will keep trying. My heart just keeps breaking, you know, but I, maybe that's just the way it's going to be. So. Oh, these swans. Yeah. Oh, these swans. Oh <laughs> God. That's the line. Oh, these swans. <laughs> I feel, I hear both of us leaning into a level of, uh, truthfulness Mm -hmm. 
That's what I hear. Yeah. And and I also hear uh, to what you caught when you were like, and the last chapter is righteous validation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you believing in yourself the whole time, even though no one else did. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the people who stuck by your side. Mm. And those are and the I people like, that matter. Can, I, <laughs> can we unpack like being flanked? You know, like the tattoos are a level of um, presence. Yeah. Because uh, I was talking to my beloved and he was saying how for him the tattoo experience is, is the experience. And then he like yeah. hardly ever thinks about his tattoos after that. Oh. Which is, I was like, what? That's not me. Rilla, uh, yeah. da front. Yeah. I don't know if it's like <laughs> chicken or the egg. Is it because we are highly aesthetic artists who probably consider the longevity of this image that is on us and the image itself has way higher importance for us aesthetics has way higher importance for us um or is it just that we think really differently about tattoos it's just all intense for me like the process is like church for me it's like a sacred time and my tattoo artist is bomb like i should link her she's amazing if anyone's in pittsburgh go Yeah, um, she is an absolute magical witch, and she has been healing me. We should do an episode on tattoos. Maybe she'll come on, but she has been healing me with the tattoos, and I'm only letting her tattoo me. Um, I have plans, and she's. it's been a sacred act. It's been helping in my grief and processing everything, and that's why I probably feel a little bit better than I do the last time we talked about this. I think getting those tattoos was a huge step in the right direction for me. It was symbolic, and now... It's just as important when I see them because I see them and I'm like, cool, still on the path, you know, and now I'm protected. That's what it feels like. So it's a commitment. It's a commitment because you're mm-hmm. never getting rid of it. And like you've you've committed. You're like, I am committed to this. Can't take it back to yourself. That's, that's yeah, what it I think is the same, but that's what it is to me. So I think as two people. And you can absolutely push back if this is me telling your story. and That's not fair. Um, I assume that us as two people who have not actually felt the um, the surrounding, like the presence of all of that huge amount of family as Eliza would have felt with her brothers, mm-hmm. were um, a part of what we're doing is kind of creating a sense of that um deep deep many hands around me like there is a family structure that we've been given especially in america where we're so isolated that that sense of a whole village is surrounding me or a whole clan is surrounding me you know and if we had um, been given more ancestral worship practices maybe we would feel spirits more clearly around me we've had to work really hard to actually feel surrounded right yep yeah i mean absolutely that's that's it i mean it was a slight digression from our point but still it's not i mean it's a part of it we're making our own family both Mm. spiritually and with the people we find that stuck by us the whole time (laughs) so you know it's it's important family community the people who don't put upon you but listen even when you can't speak 
Yeah. Which is possible. You know, you can listen even though you're not speaking. You can hear the silence, you know, if you, instead of putting something on the person. And you could just allow them to yeah. be complex mm-hmm. but silent and yeah. not project. Yeah. We all could do with doing that for each other. Right. Heck yeah. That's a personal commitment of mine as well. Like, mm-hmm. that's, I'm not going to project any stories onto somebody. If I don't have information, I don't have information. Yeah. This is hard stuff. It's not easy, but these stories are rich with these lessons, which is why we go here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, my first introduction of the wild swans didn't have this level of persecution that mm. um, I've come to realize that is actually a part of the story. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's interesting that I didn't... Um, land on that so like my childhood experience of this story is much more about the actual um trial the rite of passage of pain yeah of those stinging nettles and but now it's like you know as i'm deepening into my womanly journey it's the imposement of silence yeah not being able to be breaking of it yeah not being seen and Mm. feeling abandoned and mislabeled and misunderstood Mm. And loss. I mean, there's so many pieces. We could yeah. talk about it again. <laughs> and we probably will. You know, we probably will. And that's the cool part. Um, it does seem to be a pretty pivotal story that our parallel lives are um, yeah. anchoring to. Yeah, agreed. How do we feel? Do so, we feel? I'm, just very, I'm very impressed with us. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I, I also was thinking, I wonder how they haven't made a movie about this yet. They have. What? Well, oh. are you talking about like a, a live action movie? Yeah. Okay. Not a cartoon. There's like I mean, a zillion cartoons. I should check that out. I think there's, isn't there a Russian animation too? Yeah. I, so some of them are real weird. I'm just going to say, yeah. be warned. <laughs> <laughs> but I cartoons mean like live action. Cartoons from the 60s are strange. Yeah, cartoons but, from the 90s are strange, but yeah. True. Um, but yeah, I, I will check those out. But I was imagining like you know, a feature film, like two hour feature film. That would be interesting. I would love that. Especially yeah. seeing somebody transform in and out of swan state mm-hmm. into human state. Fuck yeah. Without it being tacky. Like it would have to be done golden compass style. Like yeah. the tech you know. the tech is there now. Yeah. But um I feel like this is winding down. What I do mm-hmm. hope is that people listening are seeing where this lands for them. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you in the story? Or a different story? You know, this is, is there a different story? Thematic. Yeah. How are how are your fairy tales? Favorite fairy tales? Opportunities for you to reflect on your life? Yeah, they really open things up, and I'm amazed at where we go when we really dive into them. What they do. So, I hope you spend some time. We hope you spend some time finding out more, being curious. Because these stories are around us everywhere and we don't even realize it sometimes, but they're really important. (laughs) So with that, with that, (laughs) with that, thank you so much for listening Mm -hmm. and check out our show notes. There'll be inspirational links and resources for you. We're going to keep going on this topic um, in terms of the framework of magic, myth, fairy tales creativity, friendship, 
Yes. Stay tuned for more. Stay tuned for more. And the music we use for our podcast is called Whimsical Aliens. It was written and performed by Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York. Please subscribe Ali. and like his music. Ali! Uh, please subscribe and like his music tutorials on YouTube. They are so charming. You can become a pat- patron to his work on Patreon as well. And Bjorn always edits and produces our podcasts. We really are very appreciative of that. Thank you. And see you next time. Yeah, check out our links in the podcast episode. Also, check out our Substack. Check out our YouTube. Um, we are expanding. We are expanding. Like the we wings of a swan. <laughs> Bye. Bye.